Camouflage. That's when you read camu, but you don't want anyone to know you're doing it. The claustrophobic corridors of a chaotic film set bear witness to a vicious power struggle. The film is about medieval witch burnings. Proceedings are haunted by the ghosts of auteurs past, namely Godard, Drea, Fassbinder. But the absence of competence or cooperation on this film set renders these illusions shallow. A young wannabe auteur from LA harangues a flustered Charlotte Gainsbourg. Aussie up-and-comer Abby Lee protests her unexpected toplessness, not in the contract. A sadistic DP goes rogue amidst both a power outage and a power vacuum. The low-frequency hum and sustained multichromatic flicker typical of this film's director serve to stir up any remaining cortisol. This is Gaspar Noe's 2019 medium-length making of From Hell, Lux Eterna. And this is MoobTube. Owen, we've come to blows on Noe before. Is this sincere soul-searching from a solid cineast or merely strobe-lit self-abuse? <laughs> um, yeah, we did come to blows over Noe uh, on episode four of this podcast. Not those kind of blows. Yeah. <laughs> Not those kind of blows, actually. Um, yeah, I, I was left kind of flaccid ultimately by love um, when we came around to it the first time. And my exposure to Noe generally has been... Um, I think he cares a lot about cinema. Um, mm. Like I, I think he's got an auteur's vision. I think he. I think he is really sincere about uh, the films he makes, which I think is always like a, a tick in the co- his column. Um, but mm. as for Luxe Turner, I really liked it. Mm. I'm, I'm putting my cards right on the table there, but um, but it's a weird. It's a weird little thing. Um, yeah. Because I I didn't I tried not to do too much digging beforehand I was like okay I'm just going to do a short project and he's done quite a few short films and kind of um, in between the bigger projects he's done quite he's, done, he's worked quite a lot with shorts um, and what I'd read was that you know this is about witchcraft and I was like cool that's interesting um, and surprising for someone who's like you know normally his his other films have been you know about um, modern sexuality in, in Paris or about kind of like uh, acid basically about kind of mm. trips and things like that and parties DMT. it's a very, yeah, DMT it's like he's, it's, he's a very kind of like um, bohem you know act, uh, director in, in the now it's like okay this is a historic thing I mean ultimately it's not a historic yeah I thought it would be I thought because like the opening couple of scenes where I, he reenacts like uh, I, I believe it's a reference to Huxon um, like Benjamin Christensen's um, like 1922 uh, 1922, maybe 1920 something, um, Swedish silent film about witchcraft. It's called The Witch, so Huxon. Mm. Um, and I, I think it's referencing that. I was like, oh, cool. This is like a, a updated kind of because that film is all about kind of it's like an, uh, an interpretation of the Malleus Maleficorum and the Spanish Inquisition and torture, and it's kind of a bit of a drama and a bit of a documentary about witch trials in the kind of 15th, 16th, 17th centuries, and it's very cool. I thought it's going to be like that because he recreates all these scenes of torture, which are done in such a way that they they look really compellingly real. There's bits of, um, you know, uh, of machinery, machinery and torture devices, and it's a really well it's really well done. I was like, this is sick because um, I'm a pervert. Has a very Drea feel, and then Drea is then referenced. Mm. Yeah, totally. 
but then you get those intertitles where it's suddenly you know it's Noe and it's like mm. the uh, and he, he drops in Dostoevsky about um about fit it's about actually I think I just realized it's about a fit isn't it it's about a um epileptic fit or something um and a vision oh, yeah, did Dostoevsky epilepsy. actually say that where he says people have, epilepsy, have, a, have a real good time just before it gets bad he said a lot of shit really not a little safety fan but anyway um and he drops that and he drops some quotes but dre and he drops some quotes about like um about the kind of messianic and manichaean uh mission of the the filmmaker like you know yeah the filmmaker is creating art and art is like an ethical thing i mean yeah but that's i mean you've literally just watched this film yeah um, i have you're hot off the press what's your like What's your take? Now you're right off the boat. It felt very much like a COVID-19 film, not in relationship to the pandemic, but in relationship to that sort of taking stock, self-reflexive turn. Mm. It, I mean, I'm not, I'm not ignorant to the fact that it was made well before COVID-19. It was made and it was like released in, well, it was premiered at a festival um, in May 2019. And they don't exist anymore, festivals. Yeah, exactly. They're all, it's just like movie, basically. I was reading Sight and Sound recently, and it's like at the end of every review, it says available on movie or available on Netflix. <laughs> and then there but, are really angry. There are really angry letters in the letters page where people are saying, "Why are you reviewing TV? I thought this was Britain's foremost <laughs> film magazine." You know, and and there's like there's like someone who's someone who's being really woke about this, the Steve McQueen small acts the thing, saying oh, it's really, really profound. But 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 I must say, uh, some of these works are really not not worthy of McQueen's cinematic over at all. They, they don't deserve to be reviewed because in it's on telly. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, I, you guys, I, let go. Oh, you don't no, realise that like, this categorization is no longer important. Like, it's everything meaningless. is just streaming. It's been meaningless for like 30 years, or at least 20 years since HBO, um, at least in a, in a bigger sense. But these, these are like South Bank cineast people. <laughs> and I'm going on a tangent anyway. I'm pouring people no, off. No, you're going on a tangent. I do kind of care. I do care about cinema as a, I think that, I think that TV shows are just becoming more cinematic and the length mm. of films is varying and that's There's cool. a correlation between them now. They overlap. It's yeah, yeah that's it's fine. Distinction. Um, I do think cinema is a thing. I think that things can be televisual and theatrical and that's different from cinema, but I don't really care what it's on. I think in terms of output, I'm not like, I wouldn't draw that distinction based on what you're watching the thing on. I would draw that distinction based on the work itself. Yeah. Um, by the by, I, I liked Lux Eterna. I, it, yeah, it had this weird sort of like not really making a proper film, sort of stepping back and doing a kind of reflective thing to it. Mm. Um, so I sort of, I kind of reviewed it in my mind. I appraised it in a different way to if it was like, that's not to do with its length. I think that's to do with something intermission, some sort of intermission feeling to it. Mm. Um, like the first scene is just this really long improvised dialogue scene between Beatrice Dowell and Charlotte Gainsbourg, mm. where they talk really about- Really good. Um, actually, that that bit of improvisation is really- um, Yeah, it's beautiful. It's like locker room talk, but for like women in cinema. It is, but for women, act women actors, and they're talking about yeah. it. Like she's- it's a really good moment where, because we've just seen a scene where a woman has been burned at the stake in a kind of um, recreation of a kind of silent film. You know, it's mm. got the energy of, of Joan of Arc. Um, yeah, Dre. About it. Dre, yeah. 
Um, and again, I think it's yeah consciously surfacing the reference to Drea and, and Christensen and whatever. Um, and then she's like, have you ever been burnt? And for a moment, it kind of holds the possibility that they're, this is some sort of like fantasy thing or they're really witches or there's, there's, there's something here and it's kind of, he's, he's creatively playing off the idea that they might be witches and might have survived a burning, but obviously they're talking about acting roles. But the, yeah. the, the, the line between what is, an, what, is a real, what is being burnt as a fictional uh, acting practice, you know, like a, a bit of a, your job for the day, you know, I'm, oh, today I was burnt at work. Um, and the kind of fit of the real of, of um, you know, real witchcraft burnings is kind of blurred. And that becomes increasingly important throughout this kind of 50 minute film because those, the fictional and the non-fictional are kind of allowed to contaminate each other. Um, but it's kind of set up quite nicely because you think that for a minute and it is, yeah, it's a really nice kind of improvised bit of dialogue. Um, uh, and of course it's Charlotte, Charlotte Gainsbourg um, you know, who's kind of the queen of art house, like mm, Euro exploitation, isn't she? Like absolutely. Modern. Yeah, I mean, I I was really surprised when I remembered that she hasn't actually been in any Gaspar Noé films. I just felt no, she seems of like all an the, obvious Gaspar Noé heroine uh, because of all the von Trier stuff. But I also want mm. to make I want to make very clear I don't see Trier and Noé the same. You know, I think that Noé really has got much more integrity than von Trier. Hundred percent. Um, um, that's what I'm saying. I'm about glad sincerity. you agree with me. That's the sort of thing that you. Yeah. Well, that's like one of the reasons we do the podcast is because we agree on mm-hmm. things like that. They're quite hard. The to foundational. Articulate. Yeah, like the foundational. <laughs> you know, when people say it's like porn, it's like hard to define, but you know, you see it. That's our view on cinema. It's like. But von know- Trier is just kind of nihilistic, and, and 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 yeah, you're absolutely right when you say at the start at the top of the show, like that, um, that like you that you know, like with no a that there's this love and. And dedication towards cinema always that carries you through i think mm. um whereas with von trier there's a sort of it's it's like um it just well, to me always with von trier just feels like an indulgence and it feels gratuitous yeah and, i mean trier, I, I watched I irreversible last night have you seen yeah. irreversible i haven't known oh you haven't oh right god no um, no no no. that's why i was kind of i, I just why i didn't get back to you <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah I, I didn't want to seem lesser in your eyes no um, of course well that nah, yeah no there's no no danger of that so i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna do a little filmography of gaspar noe because i yeah, care about gaspar noe um, i stand alone was his debut film it's kind of a bleak like bleak but it it a bleak story of like an abattoir worker who fucks his daughter um and it has this sort of um very it initiates this immersive hardcore aesthetic that defines the rest of Noah's work he then takes that immersive hardcore aesthetic to its logical conclusion in irreversible which is uh, as the title implies told in reverse chronology uh, more or less following the format of memento uh, by what's his chops chris nolan and um it tells the story of, of a kind of guy who whose girlfriend is brutally ra- brutally raped and assaulted on a subway um and his attempts to get revenge but you see the acts of violence and revenge first because of the reverse chronology and then as you move your way backwards you see the assault and then as you move your way further backwards you see their relationship um and that 
reverse chronology is quite graceful and illuminating in terms of the kind of moral core of the film because the acts of violent vengeance are without context and can be sort of seen for what they are rather than with the motivation they might have attached to them having seen the brutal oh. violence they're they're attempting to avenge um the central and most infamous scene and in irreversible of the um really horrifically violent um rape and assault um is 10 minutes long it's one take which is in stark contrast to the the woozy floaty steady cam of of the rest of the film and most of Noe's work is just one long still take um and it's pretty hard to watch um but yeah the film sort of gets happier and more um hopeful as it goes back in time <laughs> Um, ironically what is there to say about his next film Enter the Void which is like two and a half hours um, and it's set in Japan and it's almost all at night and it evokes it's probably my favourite film I guess by now it evokes Mm. this um, slightly incestuous uh, relationship between um, this brother and sister whose parents were killed in an accident and the brother is uh, dies at the hands of police when he's uh, when his flat is being raided and, and sort of follows these ideas of the Tibetan Book of the Dead and DMT and there's lots of scenes in strip clubs because his sister played by Paz Dola mm. Huerta is a stripper um, then he made Love which we've reviewed um, on this podcast already very briefly it was 3D it was kind of noted for its use of unsimulated sex almost all of the film is a sex scene it's kind of a story of relationship and uh, and told through sex scenes then he did Climax which is a film about someone spiking the punch bowl at a dance rehearsal and everything goes a bit Pete Tong again and the he- idea of um, su- substances and kind of transformational states of mind right yeah and what then he makes through- Luxor which we're reviewing now yeah which is yeah which is there's like it's weird how there are themes um for him and he's great at theme given that he's really Gaspar obsessed Noe, he's good at theme um he's good at theme he's good at theme and he's good at color and he's good mm. at sincerity all his films are very deeply sincere um mm. and and all have the element of of complete contrivedness and also a kind of um looseness as if they're improvised as he does that really well um i think it's I, one of the things i find really interesting about him is is the reoccurrence of certain things like sex obviously or the the relationship between kind of cinema and sex and gays and sex and also slaughterhouses and butchery um mm. which are which is fassbenderian very fassbenderian but also franju georges franju you know oh, I like eyes without face but that's not really about mm. butcheries but um la sang de bet um like the blood of the beasts um that is film about uh literally is film about an abattoir um which i feel is it's kind of irrelevant to this but i just feel like because franji was so drearian and mm. Obviously, Noé is there's this kind of line of like slightly outsidery French and Belgian directors. Um, you know, he's Noé is not the disciple of of you know Jean Luc Godard or you know Truffaut or anyone. He's like this other subterranean 
um, kind of nest of French directors that he's more in line with. Um, you know, this kind of well, this like body, this 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 kind of cinema. And Catherine Breyer as well, that sort of turn mm. of the century fleshy cinema that Claire Denis kind of da- yeah. dalliance with briefly. Um, but yeah, they, you know, I, and I think yeah, it's a very dis- disturbing cinema. Um, and I think yeah, so with Carnet and I, I stand alone, like it's only films that is an obsession with kind of um, yeah. Uh, characters who are involved in animal butchery and like so there's the, the proximity of sex violence and power is all there in his films and I think it until now he hasn't really directly talked about that in the context of cinema directly but it's kind of obvious because all those cinema is that isn't it you know people often say in a Sontagian sense that like you know the lens is violence um, so he's kind of taking that as a literal thing and making a film where it's kind of problematizing the lens. Whether or not he's successful at doing that is something we can talk about, because obviously it's one mm-hmm. thing to say I'm making a film where I'm going to uh, problematize and unpack the the male like filmmaker's lens and gaze and what that does to women and what it does to female bodies. And it's another thing to actually do a film that doesn't exploit them in the process, but does Mm. produce a meaningful outcome and does critically pick that relationship apart. Let's kind of fast forward a bit. The film is, is all focused on this one scene on this failed shoot where three women are going to be burned at the stake in a very kind of like tripnotic, um, uh, club-like scene basically it's kind of very gory and, and sashery and um, sexploitation style um, everything's fucking going wrong uh, eventually during the shoot the lighting fucks up and we're subjected to about 10 or 15 minutes of intense strobing and ear-piercing noise um, and nobody pulls the women down off these stakes so the actors um, nobody's able to stop the light the noise it's chaos um, mm. And for that moment, Noé focuses his camera on the three women, but eventually just on Charlotte Gansberg um, as she writhes. And the director who's behind the camera, who until this point, the actual director, not the DP, who's been kind of dominating until this point, the actual director, who makes a very good point. He says, like, I began with Jean-Luc. Um, you know, he's, he feels emasculated and this is his moment. And he... He keeps the camera trained on Charlotte Gansberg and he zooms in and he's like, yes, Charlotte, yes, Charlotte, more, more, more. Because she's <laughs> writhing in a real way as if she's really being burned, which is what I'm saying about this kind of loop earlier where the, the relationship between a real and a fictional burning kind of fully mm. crosses over because Charlotte Gansberg is literally kind of being burned under the gaze of the camera and the director, you know, any other film set, you know, this is fucking um, uh, a kind of abuse in a way, uh, you know, nobody helps her down off this thing. She's still tethered to it and basically having a fucking epileptic fit on this um, pole. Um, and it's quite it's quite insane because we're subjected to it as well. You know, obviously that he doesn't let us look away. Um, that scene lasts, yeah, like 12 minutes or something um, and speeds up. And yeah, it's kind of like fucking, like going on a, hot, a sped up DMT vision quest. Um, but he does that, but it, whether but actually i feel like ultimately he gets a very kind of sick film out of it um the footage at the end because we were thinking is like this he's right this is great footage um subjecting these women to this is great and charlotte gainsbourg is really sexed up and you know sort of uh, in this kind of sexy dress and so the actresses you know sort of these flimsy uh, ahistorical dresses um and it's like well you, you've kind of made your point that um the male lens can uh exploit women in the in its its 
patriarchal effort to to do art and film but you've also produced at the same time you've had your cake and eaten it because you have produced a very cool exploitative film well, he's basically saying it's worth it like, yeah he's, kind he's of basically saying, saying like yeah you have fun with your me too thing but basically this this machine still works <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Like aesthetically, you know, and he's not obviously advocating um, abuse, but he's sort of saying like the 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 convent. I mean, he is he is like in a way like he is kind of this podcast has like has it's like, has a kind of maybe an overly protective relationship over Gaspar because <laughs> he made he sort of he's unashamedly male gaze. You know, we, mm. I talked when we reviewed Love about how like he does for me what like Chantal Ackerman does for like introverted lesbians. Mm. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> Gaspar Noe is um, like, is this sort of like wannabe auteur, horny, um, very like obsessed with sensation, um, desperate to, to push the, um, to get closer and to get more mm. immersed and to, and to push boundaries formally. And it's with a sincerity. I mean, the character in Love is the guy Murphy. I mean... Who reappears uh, in um, Luxe Turner. Yeah, playing... Yeah. I mean, he's a different character, but he's playing the same role of this kind of Kubrick stan who, you know, thinks that, you know, he could one day be be the next big, you know, person big in shit. the chapter of, he in, of the story Because this is like film. Murphy... You could believe this is the same universe and Murphy's all grown up because he's got a moustache here and he's now making his debut <laughs> film. Whereas in Love, he is in film school still. Yeah. 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 yeah he loves, um, no, he loves a little bit of character. Like in Irreversible, there's the first scene features the butcher from the, from I Stand Alone. I Stand Alone, um, who is also in Carnet. <laughs> so, is he? I haven't uh, yeah. seen Carnet. That's good. Sorry. It's just, yeah, this is a kind of, um, uh, lower budget kind of short version of like a, a test for a uh, litmus test for I Stand Alone oh really um, okay yeah it's good um, but yeah he likes he. I mean Murphy is also him Murphy is also um, uh, Gaspar Noe and obviously Gaspar Noe is in love um, as an older um, kind of slightly predatory guy um, and he's an odd little guy he's kind of bald slaphead yeah, he um, always casts himself as a sort of defense against accusation. I really like. Oh. I find that really hilarious. Like, there's um, yeah. there's a. Uh, I was on the Wikipedia page for Irreversible, which is something that one would want to do after watching a film like that, just to get a bit of like distance. Um, film critic David Edelstein argues that Irreversible might be the most homophobic movie ever made. Um, I clicked on David Edelstein and it says uh, he lives in Brooklyn, New York with his wife and two daughters. So the, what claim oh, he has to decide what the most homophobic film ever made uh, might be, uh, might be, might be disputable. Well, you know, um, but I Gaspar Noe made a film people. called Sodomites, so he can't be homophobic. <laughs> no, it's the fiction of gay criminal Latenia inexplicably raping the female lead. Alex remains the film's most controversial image. In his defense, Noah has stated, I'm not homophobic. I also appear in Irreversible, masturbating at the gay club as oh. a means of showing that I don't feel superior to gays. <laughs> um, I kind of love that. I love that. I love Gaspar Noe. Like, He's I, like, I'm literally having a wank in a gay club, so you know i'm not he he's misunderstood know, i am with the gays yeah i'm with the literal <laughs> gays with the Z. he's got a real sense of like getting ahead of the story he's trying to 
get the butterfly on the pin you know in order to pin the butterfly so people can appreciate it you need to kill mm. it and you need to violently pin its abdomen to a board what he's saying is that in order to examine really up close what life is you need to, it to be real and you need it to be intense and it needs to be you need really need to commit to it um because you think about so in in <laughs> bit of an aside but so his film I just mentioned, Sodomites, which is a short film from 1988. I just went on the Wikipedia for it because I, I want to remember what I remember about this film. So the cast is, the four characters are a spectator, the master, the Sodoma, and the rectal beast. <laughs> um, but again, it's about, uh, it, 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 it's uh, another film about, uh, includes rape and um, the, the quote that they've used in an article talking about it in The Guardian is um, uh, the rape had to be disgusting to be useful. Um, well, speaking of useful, the film is a hardcore safe sex promo that was made mm. for French television in the late 90s. Mm. Yeah. So French television wanted to make a promo for safe sex. Mm. And they got Gaspar Noé, no admittedly <laughs> before he'd made all of his films, but like they got Gaspar Noé to make... That says a lot that's about pretty, French that's society, isn't it? That's pretty I'm, I'm starting lit. to like the French again. <laughs> I love the French, man. Uh, we go off them sometimes, but I'm based on this this exceptional bit of... Um, it's like getting fucking, like... I don't know, I can't even... Like Chris Morris to make like a public information film about like disinformation or something. About fake news. He probably about would do news. that in a really earnest way now, wouldn't he? Yeah. Um, I mean, the N- NHS did get... Um, no, that's not even the same. But they got like uh, the crew between behind. Um, uh, Don't hug me. I'm scared to do some public health films, which was kind of. I don't know it's, what that is. It's not even comparable, but they should get Keith. It would, be, it would be comparable to Keith Richards doing a film for the NHS. <laughs> <laughs> I no, no, that's not fair on Noe. Like obviously, no. Gaspar Noe is like sex positive, and he's he's super he's, sex positive. His films he's a good are guy. just aren't there he said the word useful is is useful there because he's saying you know often in films the or you know there's an unnecessary sex is used as a it has no explanation i think i feel it does warrant an explanation in the film um uh you know as part of characterization or whatever and i feel with um no way he wants scenes of sex with a positive or negative you know rape or pleasure to be useful and he wants emotions to be useful arguments to be useful you could take um love the you know the argument um where uh he's murphy's continually banging on her door and she's just calling him uh like a cunt or i hate you i hate you and it goes on for a really Mm. really long time it's agonizingly long and it's very because of that it becomes really real and the it, it kind of extreme argument becomes really he's really good at these long takes and yeah. you feel them more and it's, it's the same with the end of Lux Eterna because you feel um, you feel Charlotte Gainsbourg's discomfort on this cross as you would call it or pole because you're seeing the light as well um, mm. you feel the director's joy because you're realising that this is actually a better shot a better scene like her discomfort is making good cinema it's better it's more real yeah her acting gets really good it gets really good whereas before when the shoot starts when it's just the normal kind of uh, flames behind them and it's, it's it's all very tawdry I think intentionally it's all very boring and shit it's like what the fuck is this like this is awful and then once this it's a love letter to cinema basically yeah it 100% is and he's saying cinema comes through discomfort this is almost like a manifesto for um uh 
for Noe and the flashing light, you know, that's what Noe said. It's a uh, cinema is, is light at 24 frames a second, 24, 26. That's a bit of a pretentious thing to say, but yeah, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I take your point. Yeah. Can I go on a digression about form Please. and content? Please do. Um, that, so I was this morning. I was listening to Come Town, as as I sometimes do. As, <laughs> as listeners of this podcast um, may notice, we that there is like a, a, a you know a few dribbling drops of, uh, of of influence from from other other dirtbag podcasts from across the pond. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was listening their latest um, episode. They were doing this kind of spoof of Hannah Gadsby, the Australian stand-up comic, um, who. Uh, what did she do? Aware of. She did this stand-up cam- comedy Netflix special called Nanette. Nanette, yeah, I know. It's the one that was the comedy without any jokes. Yeah, so she basically yeah, um, yeah. sort of. What's the point? <laughs> so she went up on stage and and said like, when you're, <laughs> she did a few jokes of sort of playing on like being a lesbian and stuff, and then she was like, well, basically, this I feel a bit uncomfortable about stand-up because it's is quite a um as a format you know when you're like being humble you know if you're from a marginalized group it's not humility it's humiliation and i don't want to humiliate myself in a way that like she's basically saying like that the form of stand-up is actually like not compatible with her creative aims she sort of said oh i'm not sure if i want to continue stand-up and then that stand-up set did really well and so she came back and did like a normal stand-up <laughs> special. so the uh, format was completely appropriate though. yeah and then um, so the come town guys did a did a spoof um it was mainly nick mullen it always is mainly nick mullen yeah, yeah. did this kind of this bit where he was like he was like like doing just basically saying really racist politically incorrect things in a head against me accent <laughs> over in australia we have these orig- aboriginal people that doing their didgeridoo what the fuck is that i'm <laughs> like just kind of going in on this like yep. doing a, and, the, and the purpose he explains it afterwards when adam like, tries to join in and it kind of fails like the purpose mm-hmm. is to do a version of hannah gadsby that would offend people who like hannah gadsby in order to convey to people who like hannah gadsby what it's like for them people who find Hannah Gadsby to be rubbish um, or offensive in some way. Anyway, that's a bit of a detour. Point being... It's a huge detour, but go on. <laughs> I'll allow it. I will allow this. <laughs> Point being, Hannah Gadsby is attempting to do stand-up without doing stand-up yep. because there's like an accusation against the medium saying this medium has within it certain yep. precepts and, and principles this is a way of getting that are problematic. Without really confusing um, the bomb. Exactly. And a lot of people, I think, talk about in this kind of transitional moment with cinema, you get a lot of a lot of women directors are often asked to kind of articulate their practice as distinct from the male dominated history of cinema, which is fascinating and valuable. And, you know, I mean that very sincerely. Um, What Gaspar Noé, I think, is saying with this film is that this element of like voyeurism and like sadism or suffering or discomfort um and uh is like an integral or 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 one of the great magical you know one of the great sort of um shining diamonds of that that work um 
you know like now we have intimacy directors and stuff mm. like you, you get like some middle-aged woman to come on set and like whenever there's any nudity and kind of like do the red tape and the health and safety and you know they used to be called milfs but they have to rename rename them to something else when you get a middle-aged well, woman coming into milfs <laughs> <laughs> oh my god when you pay for middle-aged women to come into your film set um <laughs> <laughs> generally what it's called um no i'm i'm being disingenuous but i agree Se- it's seasons in constellation <laughs> <laughs> i mean no no he's um i'm gonna tell you a really deranged story but, but I, it I is really, cultural I, thing this the film is part no, of the of the kind of cinematic culture i believe mm, and i think it, it's it totally really is and he's very consciously doing that because he is um painting a, ser- a very ambiguous situation where lots of men want something so it could be yeah. it could not be more possible that there is men who want something men who overstep their boundaries let's, let's list them there is the um uh the the general sense of 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 the older female woman actress who is um kind of actually the boss of the film even though she's on in the film and she's actually the is she only like one. an exec producer or something I didn't she, quite she, get what her she, role was. she's not she's just an actor in the film um, but uh-huh. she takes on the role of like the director and the DP and everyone because they're, the men are all kind of a bit useless and floundering um, well, there's a huge power they, vacuum yeah. a huge power vacuum in there, and she fills, fills the power vacuum and they resist it and they fight it because she emasculates them even though she's mm. kind of taking charge um, and they fight that there's a, a young Australian actress who um, is uh no she has no idea what's going on because everyone's speaking french and she doesn't and she doesn't seem to have a handle or any help there and she's obviously very distressed um one of the uh one of the executive producers has asked a young man to film various women in the set and he films her when she's getting undressed and it's just really invasive so there's always and there's um a journalist who keeps bugging the women because he wants to interview them and he's like i am uh, tell me if i'm being too much tell me if i'm overstepping the mark but he's constantly hounding them when they're obviously very stressed and trying to work there is Mm -hmm. murphy who is trying to get charlotte gainsbourg and another actress completely like a vulture to to be in his project all these men are making demands of them so when he's finally been rejected by her he kind of um he switches sort of to almost places a, places a curse on her by saying oh you know mm. you're gonna you know she's going to be spent and, and chucked on the yep. scrap heap while i'm at can lording it up and, it, and there's an element of truth to that right because he is there's a there's a truth to that which is kind of like you know we know the narrative we know sort of the yeah. charlotte gensberg is, is fighting an uphill battle and yeah, so there's all the the entire film is saturated. And there's also the story this. in the in the opening improvised dialogue. There's a story about these sex scenes, where um, where a guy. Well, one story Charlotte Gainsbourg talks of a, of a guy in a sex scene who came on her uh, leg, ejaculating on her leg, <laughs> um, and she We've sort of feels there. sorry for him. We have we have literally yeah, all been there, yeah. um, and. Um, and then Beatrice Dowles tells us a slightly more mm. sinister story of like her being in the queue to a to a cinema, and some uh, Randy Punk kind of um, pressing his Percy up against her, mm-hmm. and coming on her leg, and this is, and she also then talks about a, a film she was on where she was. Um, uh, again burned as a witch in another film. Yeah, and she. So it's uh, it's about women being like. Um, Exploited. Like thematically again, yeah. no way. Thematically, just mm. fucking goes there. But he goes there. But what he does is he salvages cinema out of it. I think, um, mm. and he he's not. I think what he's doing is pinpointing the culture wars, and he's saying this is you know maybe there's a discussion to be had here because there's there's validity to a lot of validity to it, but it doesn't it doesn't sink the ship. Um, mm. 
I suppose he's saying, you know, he's saying art isn't easy, and he's he's making a, an ambiguous and kind of perhaps not. He's making an ambiguous statement via a unsubtle film, and kind of saying it can't really be anything more than that. Um, and he's asking to like there there should be a reprieve for film and a reprieve for difficult cinema and uh, uh, and a discomfort film is necessarily a form of discomfort um, mm, yeah. for the actors and the directors it is in necessarily a a, a a kind of swirling vortex of egos and it is a power dynamic inherently it is that because it's not a phot- yeah. even you could say even one photographer there is a power dynamic you know of a photographer whether he's walking around a bond bosnian village in 1994 or whether he's walking around a village you know sort of in the north during the election you know lead up to mm. 2019 election is a power vacuum of someone with a camera um uh, when it's 100 or 200 people on set or even 50 or 20 there's a power vacuum there as well and he's acknowledging that uh, but he's also and kind he's of kind of saying, saying the power vacuum is a problem someone needs to take mm. charge someone needs to be as fassbinder yeah. says in the quote you know, dic- a dictator. dictator. Yeah, says so you need to be the dictator. And the thing is, there is no dictator in this film. There's lots of ambitions and pointlessness, but he's saying, he's almost saying, but for the dictator who can step forward um, mm. and kind of make sense of this, and, you know, this, there needs to be one strong, sensible voice, as it were, that commands this, this chaotic process, this flooding process. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I, I, we maybe we're reading too much into it. Maybe not. I, I think that is there. I think it's very consciously something no, he's tackling there. head on. Yeah, yeah. and I, um, but it's also a very beautiful film. Like the scenes of chaos of everything falling apart. It's like the thick of it, but sped up out in French. <laughs> it's really got a thick of it energy, which is the last. Like Amado Nucci is the last reference I think I'd put, pull on in this um, when talking about Gaspar Noé. But I think it really is because it, it's got a yeah, real bleakness yeah. and humor to it. You know. Um, it's got a kind of slapstick element to it as well. It's 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 kind of it's really cleverly done. He he kind of um, draws on all the tropes about film and all these very French tropes. You know the kind of the journalist, uh, the kind of cine, the kind of cineast journalist. Um, Murphy is the young kind of eager, arrogant um, uh, kind of debut filmmaker. It's all there. Like it's all in the mix. Um, which is why I like it. It's it's turned me back on to Noe in like a bigger sense. Like, um, yeah. So it works. Well done, Gaspar. Yeah, um, and uh, a bold fuck you to uh, Baldy Bradshaw from the Guardian, who says <laughs> self-parodic soonest from Gaspar Noe. Noe's mockumentary about a movie shoot gone horribly wrong goes horribly wrong. But to read it as a mockumentary about a movie shoot gone wrong is completely misunderstand the, the stated avowed purpose of this film. <laughs> Bradshaw is such a fuck, such a pussy man. <laughs> I think we should we should subject Bradshaw to the uh, to the witches' trials. <laughs> That's a parody, by the way. I'm not advocating violence against the Guardian's film reviewer du jour. Um, so yeah, so do, don't come do after a lot me. of jaws, man. He's been in that job for fucking decades. How they? I, I mean, he's saying on like, like, if I had the national platform to write pretty much a review of any film I wanted, the man can barely manage to squeeze out a paragraph or two. Um, it's just shocking. It's it's it's. He's, he's just quite a charmer, I think. But like, mm. I mean, I really just like it's everything just, I hate about like BFI, Sight and Sound, kind of South Bank, cine cineast crassness. Um. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite fond of Sight and Sound, although reading it, I was um, 
like it's really I mean I'm I'm really left wing obviously but like the, all the critics in Sight and Sound are like really left wing like every single re- every review I read was basically like assessing the politics of of the film and kind of like yeah they, crit- they do as a as a um, yeah they're not they're, they, they, they are better whereas someone like you know Mubi tends to focus on the aesthetics and the aesthetic significance of a film if you read Notebook for example and sometimes yeah. social political background but there's never like a conscious class analysis there um, I think Sound Sound got scared of irrelevance and just went mm. full woke that's what I reckon well if they it want to weird, update weird. their website and make it readable then you know especially people with low visual they don't visual care they want you to pay for a subscription I don't want your fucking subscription because I, I, people with low visual acuity <clears throat> um, would really appreciate a website that's just not like literally trying to read like a faded Victorian gravestone oh yeah because you're, you're having trouble reading large review of my balls <laughs> having huge problems reading large review of balls <laughs> I, I mean it's, I find it really interesting I know we've kind of segued here but I find it really interesting with the LRB whose readership I, I would imagine skews a bit older um, you know uh, I know it's like it's very popular with people in their 20s and 30s but it's also very popular with people in their kind of 60s you know 60s and 70s and it's like I, no fucking way am I going to be able to read 0.5 size font when I'm 70 <laughs> Is that like a Braille edition of fucking <laughs> <laughs> How big would that be? Sending for the LRV here, man. Yeah, I really am, man. But It's um, a great bit. It's a great bit. But um, yeah, no, I, I'm really glad we did this. Did you feel like um, the, do you feel he achieved whatever he set out to achieve? The kind of things we talked about. I think so. But also, can I just caveat everything I'm saying by saying... I don't love Gaspar Noé. I don't think I've ever loved a film by him. I always like love the ambition and the spirit behind mm-hmm. it. And then yeah. there's always something in a Gaspar Noé film where I'm just like, ugh, you didn't have to do it like that. Uh, yeah. With Irreversible, it's just like the the way he exposes you to violence, I think is, it's overly sensational and, and indulgent. And it, it would it'd be more effective if certain things were implied. Because it's just not that, you know, I am squeamish, whatever, but it's more just that that squeamishness becomes a distraction, it becomes the story. And I think in that kind of can Film Festival persona non grata dis- discourse, I think he's managed to make headway by turning his films into these kind of shock stories. Um, and I sort of respect that hustle, but I think he's a good enough filmmaker that he could probably rise to the surface without that and would be better if he did. Um, but yeah, Enter the Void is, is, is my favorite. That's, that is a really good film. I sort of, I, you know, it's good that he's there being extreme, you know, pushing the boundaries at all ends. I mean, I think that's what, you know, that's a good, that's a great legacy. Always be the best version of what they are. Sometimes they just need to be useful to use his own word or interesting efforts to kind of move the Overton, I say the Overton window of like film the film cinematic imagination but it is um it's true like it's just kind of expanding the scope of what's possible especially seeing as he kind of treads the line between art house and kind of mainstream cinema um because even though his films are avowedly art house they are uh they have a bit wider distribution like love had a kind of wider distribution mm. so it's the void like um, he kind of straddles the line, I think, and part maybe because it's they're French and they, you know, in France, um, you know, 
I mean, every every school child knows uh, has watched uh, you know every Jean Luc Godard film by the time they're ten or something. But maybe it's the, the s- seriousness that films are taken in France. Maybe that reflects that. But I feel like he straddles the line between kind of mainstream cinema and um, uh, kind of art house cinema. Um, yeah, I'd like to talk more. Not now, but as, you know, as we as we continue to pod about just like. <laughs> What it like? What what ones? What it means to like relate formally aesthetically to cinema's past and the politics of that? And like, I think that I think Lux Eterna is like a really is is a beautifully like non-judgmental statement on what the film industry is kind of like. Yeah, and like a snapshot right now. Yeah, and he's not trying to fight it or change it or celebrate it or condemn it. Um, and he's also using its tools. Um, but I also think he has collaborators who are really on side. Like I think Charlotte Gainsbourg, she seems to be really on board with this like extreme style. That I don't think she's an apparatchik. I think she's, I think her presence in the film kind of lends it a, a kind of gatekeeper, you know, someone like you, you know, it yeah, gives she's you the Charon, the River Boatman, he's going to take you over the, the sticks. It, that's what it gives you. Yeah. It gives you kind of like, it gives it that, that not just a veil of, of sincerity, but meaningful sincerity that she's committed to the project. And um, especially seeing as in the film, she actually subjects herself to a kind of a really uncomfortable experience, but she's making a point as well, I suppose. She's saying, you know, you can, um, Charlotte Gensburg as an, an actor has never shied away from, um, exposing herself in film um, and putting herself in difficult situations when you think about Nymphomaniac uh, which is a very um, would have been a very difficult film to shoot um, just the demands it made physically on her yeah, yeah. Uh, the kind of uh, you know the nudity the the kind of uh, terrible way that um, uh, Lars von Trier lights all of his films um, <laughs> the emotional get... exposure as well yeah yeah um, the I also exposure. think like there's maybe an element, I mean, Gaspar Noe has been perpetually fascinated by, well, abuse, but I was, but more so um, role plays around power and, you know, sub-dom stuff and, you know, um, uh, yeah, BDSM. And, you know, there's obviously a principle in, in S&M of um, the person who's, um, the sub is is the person who's really in control um because they're the one asking for it to all happen and um you know in a consensual scenario um and uh that little dialogue between beatrice and charlotte has this kind of quite kind of erotically charged atmosphere of these women's take these women taking ownership of the industry and the scenario they work in and the chaos of it and kind of yeah that sort of story about feeling sorry for the guy who ejaculates on her on her leg um has this like yeah there's, she there's sort of holds some pa- holds some power and some empathy and some in a way that only women can really yeah because they're, they're admitting uh, <laughs> that uh, the female body is a source of of power that they hold over men and they're not being shy about that they're not saying oh well that's the kind of misogynistic view i mean it's true um, because their bodies are in demand throughout the film um, yeah. and are a subject of, of dissection and anatomy um, and it kind of emits that reality. Um, I actually, because we've been talking about, I, 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 I saw a kind of read an interesting anecdote the other day, um, which was Michael Shannon um, 
uh, who's obviously appears in quite a lot of um, art house films here and there. He was talking about, a, he was an anecdote about Philip Seymour Hoffman and they briefly were on the same production together, stage production, and um, part of the set of this film was a hospital bed. Uh, and he said during one lunchtime, he kind of hung around on the set and found Philip Seymour Hoffman kind of just laying on this hospital bed, um, kind of staring at the ceiling. And he's like, goes up to him, it's like, right, Phil, um, what's up? Philip Seymour Hoffman was like, you know, man, one day you'll understand what it's like, because Michael Shannon's a bit younger in this, a bit less experienced. He's like, one day you'll understand, you'll, you'll be here and you'll be where I am. Um, and as if he, he kind of, it's a bit of projection, but kind of Michael Shannon figures that, you know, one thing he realizes that Philip Seymour Hoffman is under so much pressure. Um, and this obviously kind of and foreshadows Philip Seymour Hoffman's death, I suppose, in a lot of ways. But the pressures that you are under as a filmmaker or, or, or actor or, you know, sort of in that industry. So despite what we said about, um, it's quite a moving anecdote, but, you know, despite what we said about, you know, sort of film necessarily entails a bit of suffering and a bit of hardship and difficulty. Obviously, there are lots of people who are chewed up and spat out by that. Um, I suppose it's the responsibility of like good filmmakers to be um, responsible and 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 caring and supportive for the you know kind of productions they make um, to lend that suffering dignity yeah to lend that suffering dignity and to to also make sure that actors just in a really like logistical housekeeping way just you know aren't um suicidal or, or harassed you know in the biggest sense mm. it's it's one of those things where it's yeah it's uniquely um uh exposed there's a very raw nerve with film that's the thing about like humility actually which I think is really important for directors and as a principle for me as a director I always I do a lot of acting classes I hang out with actors in order to just not never see myself as somehow above or separate from what they do in the same way that I've done I've been a DP I've done hold the hill the boom I've done all kinds of different things on a set um and I think that sort of humility like I was so when I watched that clip of Hannah Gadsby I was so sort of irritated by that thing of where she says, like, um, oh, you know, that, that when people in our marginalised group, you know, like, make certain kind of, make jokes about ourselves, it's not humility, it's humiliation. It's like, you, 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 you decide how you look. The whole point of stand-up comedy is that you take control over how people perceive you. And that yeah. doesn't matter where you're from, who you are. You can, and you have to take responsibility for that. If you just, if you just leave responsibility to other people and just say oh it's all because i'm in a marginalized group i don't know it just doesn't no, anyway I, 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 i'm I mean, kind of i'm kind of getting big picture here you are getting but big I picture but i think of, it's relevant because i think what the hannah gadsby thing is also saying is that denies uh, yourself which agency is, which is it kind denies, of the worst denies yourself yourself. agency but also denies thousands of years of the power uh and the the, the kind of truth as it were and the power of art um, to resolve and explore questions about human nature and yeah. identity. It's like suddenly, oh, we've been doing this for thousands of years, but us right now, as of a few years ago, we suddenly decided that actually, you know, uh, stand-up comedy can't carry, bear the brunt of these questions. Film can't bear the brunt of these questions. Books can't. So the only appropriate artistic medium is just to stand up on a stage or write an article which is telling your personal story, um, which is bullshit because it... it, it it's a it fundamental misunderstanding of how truth functions in art. Exactly. 
because that is a kind of truth making as well there is a platform there but it also demolishes the foundations of of thousands of years of exploration and difficult questions which are poses um, social media has fucked people up man it's social has me- made media people fucking like, insane it's completely it's made, made mentally ill literally um like people no, don't really, understand yeah, the meaning it's the same with like when when like artists and like people like Alana Del Rey are being asked like what they think about Trump whatever it's like are you fucking retarded like mm. you're, you're like why do you want an artist to tell you what's right or wrong that's literally never been no you want the them to tell of an artist a they want you want them to speak or show or act in a particular way but truth is not a is 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 not something that's separate from the the kind of warp and weft of the 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 form you can't separate those things Mm. it's not like you can extract the truth and and protect it from the form like form and 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 content form and truth are completely intertwined with each other um and it's yeah it's like fuck you yeah and the truth is elusive like otherwise it wouldn't be such a big deal no absolutely not glad we resolved that (laughs) <laughs> i've got this slightly floaty feeling where i've been making big pronouncements and i feel like i might i might be like in a bit of a manic space oh yeah but, let's just um, wind it back that's, let's, yeah. let's, let's just cool down let's have some Ooh. caramel tea let's thank you about, for listening listeners yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna have a nice cold beer next um yeah. next week we will be reviewing the work of ulrich seidel the austrian director we will be reviewing Paradise Love um, and The Last Real Men. Yes. Bit of a double bill again. Yeah, we like a um, double bill. Bit of juxtaposition. Yeah. But thanks for joining us on this. Um, well, we kind of went slightly off piste, but um, this, this intimate exploration of, the human, of human nature and truth. It's been real. Really real. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> stay, stay safe. Stay Peace home. Bye. Cool. That was good. That was good. Um, let me just. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if I believe half of what I said there, but fuck it. I think <laughs> we were, you know when you're coming. <laughs>